And as you do, if you'd open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm going to read the context again this morning. If there was a a subtitle for this little sub-series of Peter in this paragraph we've been walking through, I might call it God's Instructions for the End of the World, which would be sure to get, I think, extra clicks on Facebook, I would think. God's instructions for the end of the world. But it really is true. This paragraph begins with God declaring the end of all things is at hand, therefore. So all of these things are, are, they really are God's instructions for the end of the world, how to live at the end of the ages. And it's with that view that this is God's word, that this is God speaking to us And particularly speaking to us, how we are to live in light of the return of Jesus, in light of the end of the world. We live in the last era of this world. We're to live according to God's word in that era and in every era. But it adds weight to remember that God has said we're to live in this this final era of redemptive redemptive history according to his words. Let's, Let's read this passage as we should, as God speaking to us. The Bible is God addressing us with all of his authority with all of his wisdom and sovereignty and power it is God addressing us there is nothing more relevant than God speaking to human creatures about how they should live and that's what he is doing through this passage this morning let's begin reading in verse 7 we're going to focus this morning on verses 10 and 11 but before the context let's read verse 7 the end of all things is at hand therefore Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. In our passage this morning, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever. And ever, amen. Lord, please bless the preaching of this word. When I was young, I've I've told some of you this story before, but I I just don't have a better illustration for this truth. It's presented here and also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When I was young, uh, sometimes my dad's whole family would gather Uh, in the same place for Christmas, my grandparents and my aunts and uncle, cousins and so forth. And of course, we would have gift exchange. We would all come with gifts to give and to receive uh, from a family member. Uh, But behind this Christmas tradition was a very very special rule. My grandparents would send money to each family member so that they could purchase a gift for another family member. Now, my grandparents were not wealthy. Uh, They were just determined uh, to prioritize generosity and family memories together. So they would send an amount of money to each family member so that when you came on Christmas morning, you did actually have a gift that you had purchased somehow and, and brought to give and then one you would receive. But we were very aware that the, the real giver wasn't the person we were getting the gift from. The real giver was Grandpa and Grandma Payne, who had provided for all of these gifts. They had given so that gifts could be given. They had given to each of us so that we could give. And that is precisely the point that God makes throughout the Scriptures, and Peter makes in this particular passage, about spiritual gifts, gifts in the church. They are given from God to be given to others. There is this point, this 
this sense of God's overwhelming generosity that not only does he want to give to people, he wants to give people the gift of giving. But since we don't have anything we can give on our own, we are spiritually penniless in ourselves, he provides the gift so that we can participate in giving to others, in serving others. And that is Peter's additional point that he wants to make about instructions at the end of the world. He wants Christians to recognize that God has given them spiritual gifts, gifts of his grace, gifts they don't deserve, abilities that are empowered in them to be used for the blessing of his people. God is a generous father. He wants his children to be blessed, and he doesn't just want them to receive Because if we only receive, ultimately, we do become selfish and self-centered. He also wants us to have the gift of giving and the effect that that has on us. And so he provides what we need to give to others. I would summarize this passage by saying we must use the gifts God has given us to serve others for his glory. Be my summarizing sentence. We must use the gifts God has given us to serve others for his glory. I'm going to break this passage into two sections. Giving God's gifts and living for God's glory. Giving God's gifts and living for God's glory. Verse 10 begins this opening section, giving God's gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Now this opening section we can further break down into two subdivisions. One is one, a general principle, and then two broad categories of gifts. So let's look at this general principle. Peter says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The point here is that each Christian has received by the grace of God some ability, something they have not earned. It is a gift. They have not earned this. They don't deserve this, but they do possess this ability by the power of the Spirit and are given this gift with a commission to use it to serve others. And Peter uses the word steward. We are a steward of these gifts. As a good steward, he says, of God's varied grace. A steward is someone who has the management of the master's property <coughs> Excuse me, and will report to the master on his property when he returns. So this is a particular kind of gift. It is a gift. It is in our possession. But we are not the ultimate owner of this gift. It still belongs to the Lord. He has given it to us in trust with a commission. We are the the manager of this gift. We might think of a plot of ground owned by someone and given out to tenants to manage, to grow the fruit from that plot of ground. Well, spiritual gifts are like that plot of ground. They are given in trust. They are given with a purpose, and that steward will give an account to the master. The gift is not meant to be used for our own purposes. We are not free to use this gift or not to use this gift according to our own devices or choice. No, we are called to use this gift according to the intentions of the master for the good of his people. Notice it says, use it to serve one another. The emphasis here again is on the people of Christ. We are to be We are to be serving one another with the gifts God has given us. If you go back to the illustration from my childhood, my grandparents did not give Christmas money for us to place it in our savings account or to hide it under a mattress, but for a very special purpose. It was given to us, but it was given to us for a purpose. And to not use it for that purpose would be to violate the trust, the reason it was given. It would be to be a poor Steward, if you were to show up at that Christmas celebration, for example, having no gift, it would have been a failure to do what the money was for. That's the point Peter is making. You've been given a gift, yes, but it has a very specific purpose. The master has given it to you for a very specific calling, a specific reason, to serve brothers and sisters in Christ. Now notice... Another reason we should feel the benefit of this is these are called grace gifts. Gifts of grace. Wayne Grudem helps us with this. He says, a spiritual gift, charisma, 
The same word is used in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 for spiritual gifts. Charisma is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. It is a gift of grace. And notice they are diverse. Each has received a gift. And we are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. It is a graced gift. Charis is the Greek word for grace. And this is a charisma, a grace gift. And we are to be good stewards of God's varied grace. So here we have God giving undeserved gifts. And we are to steward them in their variety. So we receive different kinds of gifts. We might think, for example, of a a symphony. One has a gift as a trumpeter, another as a violinist, another as a conductor, another as a percussionist. Each musical gift contributes to the benefit of the whole. Or think of a hospital. The surgeon has need of the nurse, who has need of the supplier, who has need of the hospital manager, and each without the others, not only misses that gift, but find that their own gifts are diminished by the loss. We are meant to use the diverse gifts of grace that God has given us each to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards. Remember, this is God's of God's varied grace. Not all Christians receive exactly the same gift. There is a diversity here, but there is one commonality. They are all to be used for the benefit of brothers and sisters in Christ. In other words, the Christian life is to be like one unending Christmas celebration in which God pays for it all, but we get to participate by handing out gifts to others. In coming into Christ, each of us received a gift that is meant to be given away to others for their good in Christ. This is the principle of giving God's gifts. And then Peter further highlights it by giving two categories of gifts in what manner they're to be used. But this this principle needs to sink into our souls. Lest we hide the gifts we have been given. You can think of the parable of the talents. A very appropriate parable to this passage that perhaps Peter remembered that Jesus told the story of Three servants. One received ten talents. Talents was an amount of money. Another received five talents. Another two talents. And the first two go and they they invest their talents fruitfully. And they increase. And the master says to them, well done, good and faithful servants. And the third servant says, I was afraid of you. And so I, I hid your money, and, and here you have what is yours. It has always struck me about that passage that the one servant who is rebuked is the servant who fails to try to invest that talent. There is no category in the kingdom for investing by faith and seeing no return because God guarantees that our investment in his economy, if it is by faith, he will do good somehow through what we offer to him by faith. But, but the servant who will not invest out of fear, out of a wrong view of the master, that servant receives a rebuke. And we can come back to this passage and, and hear the echoes of the teaching of the master as Peter writes this passage. We are to use the gifts we have been given. We may not hide them. We may not conceal them. We may not wait for the perfect opportune time. We may not conceal what God has given to be given. This is the principle. And then Peter gives two broad categories of gifts. He, he, he divides gifts broadly into speaking gifts and serving gifts. You might think of things Christians say or people that are particularly gifted in speech. And then Christians who are particularly gifted in practical service, help and administration. And, and these I don't think are, are a limitation, but they're to give broad generalizations of the kinds of gifts that Christians use. His concern here is with the manner of the use of these broad categories of gifts. Now it's important to note right here that the call to use our gifts is not an excuse for laziness where we are not gifted. Hear that 
The call to use our gifts is not an excuse for laziness where we are not gifted. For example, some Christians might not be particularly gifted in speech. But all Christians are called to speak the truth in love for the building up of the church. A Christian may not disobey a direct command of Scripture under the excuse that they are not gifted. Or, for example, some Christians might not be uniquely gifted in practical areas of service or administrative help or mercy ministry, but every Christian is called to contribute to the needs of the church and to follow in the footsteps of Christ who washed the feet of his disciples. You can't have a, a gifted speaker say, well, I am, I am above practical help. I don't set up chairs. I speak to people. Now, anybody that has that kind of demeanor and is unwilling to serve where they have opportunity displays disobedience to the Lord. Gifts are not an excuse to, to not serve where we're not gifted. They're just a calling to particularly give ourselves to those areas where we are gifted to serve. Peter's focus here is on the manner of service in our areas of gifting. Those who are gifted in speech, Peter says, should do so as presenting, look at that word, the oracles of God. Obviously, this does not mean, this is where Scripture has to interpret Scripture, this does not mean that speaking Christians, anybody gifted in speech, is providing new revelations, new words of God. It's not of the, the most articulate among us is just churning out a fresh epistle every week. That's not how, how we are to interpret this, this passage. But it, it does mean that our speech should be so in line with and so representing the truth of God that we present it with that kind of sobriety, with that kind of determination to accurately represent God's word in our speech. This should be the, the highest goal of any Christian who feels they are gifted in speech, that they would accurately represent the oracles of God, the word of God. Spurgeon said of the, the great preacher John Bunyan that if you, if you cut him anywhere, he would bleed Bible. That his speech was so infused with the Word of God. It was so, so wrapped up in the teaching of Scripture that it was as if the Bible just flowed out of him. That, I think, is what Peter has in mind here. If we are speaking for the good of the church, we can do no better than to bring the truth of God's Word. And we should bring it with that kind of sobriety and eagerness. God's word, the truth of God's word, should be flowing out of the lips of those who are gifted to speak. And certainly every Christian should be speaking the truth in love. But if, if you are gifted in speech, well then especially you should be honing your speech such that it is accurately representing the truth of Scripture. And sometimes I find that those Christians who are gifted in speech are, are sometimes more gifted at, at crafting their own practical advice than they are representing God's word. Or sometimes they hone advice in extra-biblical matters where Scripture does not teach in a greater way than they represent God's word where Scripture is clear. So if, if you are gifted in speech, if you have a facility with words, your goal should be to be as one who represents the oracles of God. Why did God give gifts of speech to some Christians? So they could effectively and articulately represent his word. Not so they could impress others with their turn of phrase. Not so they could craft winsome self-help manuals so that they could effectively communicate the truths of God's word. They could speak as one who speaks the oracles of God, as one who represents the truth of the scriptures. Some Christians are specifically gifted in practical service, practical ministry. I think that's the, the view here, whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Now first, it's important to note that practical service is a major need in the church. In all culture, we tend to elevate those who do something in public or by, by way of entertainment. But the scriptures emphasize practical service as an essential pillar of the church. All the way back to the beginning of the church, it was necessary to, for there to be those who carried the weight of the practical needs of the church. 
The, the formal office of deacon is created for that category. And, and there are many Christians who can serve in that way. They are not those who want to lead the way in speaking, but they can certainly lead the way in caring for the practical administrative service needs of the church, whether it be waiting on those who have needs of of help and mercy ministry or the the organizational structures of the church, the care of the church. They are receiving strength from God to bear up the practical needs of the church. This might be some of you. Just like there might be some of you particularly gifted in speech, there might be some of you particularly gifted to bear up the practical needs of the church. And if that is you, you're to do so with the strength that God supplies. Here I think we can see the dangers accompanying different kinds of gifts. The one who speaks is always in danger of drifting away from God's word or in failing to speak with the appropriate fear of the Lord in representing the Lord. The one who serves is often in danger of serving in their own strength, or in only doing things that they can do in their own strength. Now, you know who you are. If you're more of a a practically gifted individual, you know it's your temptation to do things in your own strength, rather than living in conscious dependence on the strength of the Lord. And if you're more of a vocal person, you know it's your temptation to drift away from God's word and to represent your own oracles. Your own adages, your own thoughts of wisdom, your own what Aunt Miranda told you when you were five years old, your your own thoughts. And yet you're to be one who represents the oracles of God. The word of God is to be flowing out of your mouth. And if you're a practical servant, you're to be evidently serving with the strength that God supplies. And and can't we discern the difference? When there is a practical servant serving in their own strength, what are they often like? Well, often they are self-pitying, they are quickly fatigued, they are often complaining, they are often grumbling, they are often weary, they are often wondering why other people can't carry this load as well. But the person who serves in the strength God supplies is full of joy and faith and eager to gather others into this service by way of community The person who speaks as one representing the oracles of God brings life and help and represents the diversity of Scripture. The person who does not just loads people up with their own counsel and wisdom. The point of of both of these categories is to point out, look, remember, this is God working through you. It should point the person, either in your practical help or your speaking, to the God who gave you this gift. It should be evidently God's gift in the way you use it. The Lord means us, ultimately, to minister to his people. Not as a replacement for him, but as an instrument of his grace. Some Christians do not serve because they do not believe they are gifted to serve. But God has gifted each Christian for service of his people. Let me speak very specifically to you. If you do not believe you have any gifts which are beneficial to God's people, let me urge you. To let God's word and not your opinion rule your thoughts about yourself. Let me tell you, you must reject this lie in your heart. If this is you, and there are Christians that they believe this. You might be listening to me and you believe this. I don't have any gift to give. I I, I mean, I need a lot, but I don't have any gifts to contribute. It, It simply isn't true. God has a role for you to play. God has a role for you to play, a gift for you to give and keep giving to his body. And you must not believe that he forgot about you. There are no Christians who are only meant to receive from others rather than to give. Listen, don't contribute to the deadly consumerism present in the church because of doubt that God hasn't given you any gifts. 
You know what I mean. That deadly consumerism that comes into church looking to receive and not to give. That is deadening to the soul and harmful to the church. And you must not contribute to that out of some false belief that God hasn't gifted you. It simply isn't true. God has given to each a gift of his grace. It may not be the fanciest one. It may not be the one you wanted to get. But it is given to each. And if you have been living in this season where you feel, I have no gifts to contribute, I have nothing to give. I think Tom Schreiner has an excellent piece of advice for you to start on this journey. He says this, gifts are discovered in service. It is in humble service that we discover the gifts we have and the greater gifts that we may need. And if the testing of gifts and service is ignored, disappointment and calamity may follow. Speaking there of the opposite danger of someone assuming they have gifts who have never been tested in service, to be demonstrated, you have Christians who declare a kind of self-evaluation, I am gifted in this way. But they've never served fruitfully in that way in in a a context where mature Christians could help them hone that gift or evaluate whether their self-assessment is accurate. That leads to disaster. So gifts are discovered in service. They're also honed in service. They're also protected in service. So if you are out there and you think, I I don't have any gifts to contribute, or you're confident of your gifts, but you've never exercised them in a context where mature Christians could help you use them faithfully, let me urge you, begin to do so. If you feel, "I, I might be gifted to encourage others with my speech, well, begin to do that with mature Christians in a context like community group. So that you can benefit from them about the better and worse ways of speaking. If you're gifted in in practical service or you wonder if you might be, sign up for some area of service. There are many ways to serve in the church. We have people that set up here on Sunday morning. We need more greeters because we're going to try to turn this hotel increasingly into a welcoming place. Because it looks like we're going to be here for a little while. We, we would love to have you serve in some of those ways. We'd love to have you serve in various uh, community group areas of the church for hospitality or for remembering birthdays or for signing up for the, the food provision for, for community group or, or for the, the youth ministry that we have. You can be a part of the setup team or the design team or part of the, the group that, that comes up with ideas to bless those who are attending. There, there's lots of ways to serve in speaking and in practical ways, but you have to begin And if you have not been starting to serve because you don't think you have any gifts to contribute, allow the Lord to disagree with you. Now, some Christians do not serve not because they don't think they have gifts, but because they are envious of the gifts of others or those more gifted than themselves. But God has gifted us in the right way and to the right amount for service to his people. I remember one time I was serving on a band at a, a, a gathering of young people. And as one of the fun things they did, one of the nights, they had different band members play like a solo just for, for fun, like a musical fun kind of moment in the gathering. And, and they didn't ask me to play. They asked the other band members who were mostly older and more experienced to play. They, did, they didn't ask me to play. And, and I found myself in various moments throughout the conference just, just being down, just kind of grumpy and disappointed and not enjoying this otherwise fabulous event. And finally I just was wondering, why, what is wrong with me? This should be a fun time. Why am I not enjoying this? And it was one of those moments where it seemed as though the Lord just impressed this truth in my heart. You're totally focused on yourself. And can't we all appreciate that? Don't we all have that little thought in our mind? You you bring food to a feast and you're listening for the compliments of your dish. And a little disappointed when the other one keeps getting noticed. Or sometimes you think, well, I'm, I'm glad to serve, but I don't like serving next to somebody who's more gifted in the same area. I only want to serve if I'm the best in that area. Or, I, I know I'm gifted in this way, but I think my gift is lame. I'd rather be a singer. 
Yes, but you're not a singer. But you're really gifted at this. Yes, but I don't want to be that. Listen, we never really outgrow totally the ways we are as children. We just get better at hiding it. I don't want that one. I want what he has. Many adults say in their heart. I don't like my house. I want his house. If I had his house, then I could really be hospitable. I don't want to just be on the team. I want to lead the team. I don't want to lead that team. I want to lead that team. That's the one everybody loves. Listen, sometimes envy, gift envy, keeps us from giving what God has meant us to give. We must put that to death. This is Christmas morning. There's no grumbling and envy on Christmas morning. We've been given gifts to give. Our joy is in the giving of them, not in comparing what we have compared to others. Some of us do not serve because they're, they're uncertain where they should serve. They think about it and they, they freeze. They wonder, well, I'm, I'm not sure where I'm gifted. I'm not sure if I'm serving where I'm gifted. Again, I would go back to this, this same category. Begin serving and your gifts will begin to reveal themselves. Some Christians do not serve simply because service, even with gifts, requires sacrifice. It means looking away from our words to the word of God and looking away from our strength to the strength of the Lord. Listen, just because God has given us gifts doesn't mean that the giving of them won't require some effort on our part, some sacrifice on our part. We still have to go. We still have to give. We still have to do. Now, maybe ultimately it's God who's given us the ability to do so, but we have to actually do it. It requires sacrifice. And there's so many ways in which it requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice of our time. Well, I, I, I would go to encourage my brothers and sisters at this group by pointing out truths of God's word, but I'm tired. It's been a long day. Well, I, I would go try to comfort my suffering brothers and sisters, but, but I'm suffering too, and I'm weary, and I want to focus on myself. I, I would give, but... I want to buy this thing for myself, and, and I, don't, I don't want to give this up in order to give to them. I, I would go early, but it's Sunday morning, and I'm tired. I would stay late, but I like Sunday lunch. I would call that person, but it's hard to remember. Serving requires sacrifice. It requires giving something up in order to give what God has given us to give to someone else. But the church, the church is not a business with clients. It's not a game in which some Christians labor for the entertainment of other Christians. It is a body where each part contributes to the whole. Let the word of God challenge you. If, if you have been neglecting the clear meaning here that each Christian is called and gifted to serve, let the word of God confront you and challenge you. Listen, it, it, it is worse to hear God's word and to ignore it. We, we need to be challenged by God's word with, with fresh vigor where we are serving. And if, if we're not serving, we've been neglecting serving. We've been finding reasons not to serve. Let me, let me speak. I had a burden this morning to speak to young people. If you're living in your dad's house still, you know one of the first places you can begin to serve is at home. And probably you have... Some things you do that you just have to do because the house needs it to be done. I'm not, maybe there are really gifted bed makers out here. I mean, there could be. Some things just have to be done. But there's also ways that you are, that you are gifted. Maybe you're gifted at encouraging. And your mom could really use your encouragement. Maybe you're gifted in, in getting practical work done around the house. And yeah, it's hard work, but you're good at it. 
And your dad could really use your help in getting some of that work done. Maybe you're not sure where you're gifted. But whenever there's a service opportunity, your focus is so much on how tired you are and how difficult it is that you wouldn't know if you're gifted or not. You're focused on complaining. Listen, if you're still living in your dad's house, that is a great place to begin cultivating a lifetime of servanthood. Begin there. I don't care if you're 8 years old, 5 years old, 12 years old. You can be a servant using your gifts for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ and begin with those brothers and sisters you call mom and dad. If you are a Christian young person who's living at home, listen, soon enough you'll be out of the house. You'll never have that opportunity to steward again. It will be over. You only get to be a child once in your life. And you'll be assessed on how you stewarded that time and how you used it, not for what you did as an adult, but what you did as a child. You only get to be 13 once. You only get to be 8 once. How are you stewarding the gifts God has given you right now? Let me say something to those of you who are older in years, however you would define that. You know, one major temptation as we age is to wish we could serve with the same youthful energy and categories that we had when we were younger. And so sometimes that leads us to not serve because we're not what we once were. Maybe we're not as strong as we once were. We're not as quick-witted as we once were. We forget things more often than we once did. Or we're just tired. Listen, you will only be older once in your life. And whatever you did when you were younger is not a reason not to give your gifts when you are older. And if you are older, there is a unique gift in the church being served by older saints. Younger people need your speech of faith and of grace and of wisdom. They need your leadership so that their practical service isn't wasted in foolish effort. We need your gifts. Perhaps you're a Christian that served faithfully in some area of your life, but then you were wounded by poor leadership, either pastoral leadership or some area in the church that was ungrateful for you or abused your effort to serve. Listen, how easy is it for past suffering to keep us from present service. Disillusionment with leaders leads us to be reluctant to throw ourselves into the body. Memories of ungratefulness in the past keeps us from serving joyfully in the future. Listen, don't let disillusionment with the past keep you from serving the Lord today. There is no Christian season in which 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 is not true. God has given you gifts that are meant to be given. It is Christmas morning. And yes, you can sit in the corner with your arms folded talking about how terrible that former church experience was. Or, or you can come timidly, I am sure, and vulnerably, yes, but you can express fresh faith to serve and to give yourself to people trusting ultimately in the Lord. Listen, in the Lord, no work is in vain. Even work that wasn't appreciated, even work that was demanded, even work that led to a burnout, that that work's not in vain in the Lord. And you can give with fresh faith because the Father is is eager to use you again. And and we are eager to receive from you again. Let me say most importantly that I am grateful for the many ways that members of Redemption Hill use their gifts to build this church. It should be our joy to point out the gifts that God has given other Christians. Since these gifts are literally the grace of God for the good of the church, it it should be our privilege to celebrate that grace when we see it in action. It's actually an act of worship to point out how God is using another Christian. 
I am grateful for those ways, those gifts that you have given to me and to my family and to this church. I'm grateful for community group leaders who use their words to build up God's people. I'm grateful for those who host and those who faithfully participate in community groups who commit themselves to using their gifts to build up the body of Christ in real Christian community. I'm grateful for technically gifted audiovisual team members who use their practical gifts so that we can actually hear and remember God's word Sunday after Sunday. I'm grateful for children's ministry teachers who use their gifts to pass on God's word to the next generation. I'm grateful for those with administrative and financial gifts who help us to manage our ministries and finances here at Redemption Hill and for those who help to coordinate help for those with financial needs. I'm grateful for the varied grace God has given to Redemption Hill Church members. Thank you for being good stewards of that grace. Thank you for not burying it in the sand. Thank you for not neglecting it. Thank you for not indulging laziness. Thank you for giving. It has made this Christmas morning experience all the more joyful. Giving God's gifts and the reason we do this is because we are living, point number two, living for God's glory. Let's look briefly at Peter's conclusion of this paragraph. What is the goal of this eager gift giving? What is the goal of not bearing our gifts, not keeping them to ourselves, not hiding them, not concealing them? What is the goal here? What is the goal? Whether you're 8 years old or 80 years old, what is the goal? The goal is, look at your Bibles, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's, it's not difficult to see why God is glorified by the mutual service of Christians since all that they have came from him. Everyone knows if you are serving at all and giving any kind of benefit, it's because God has done something in your life. Eight-year-olds don't naturally serve. If you are serving, it's because God has been kind to your family. Eighty-year-olds don't naturally think about others. If they are, it's because God has been at work in their life. Busy dads don't naturally think how they can use their Sunday mornings to serve God's people. If they are, it's because God has been work in their life. So no wonder it says, in order that in everything God may be glorified. Through Jesus Christ. And of course, our service glorifies God through Jesus Christ because only through Jesus Christ can enemies be turned into servants. Once we were enemies hating God and hating one another and looking only for how we could build our own kingdom and who cares what happens to those other people in the church. But now in Christ, We are friends, and more than friends, we are brothers and sisters in Christ, brought into a family by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through him, enemies have now become fellow servants, body parts, serving each other, not interested in their own independent desires, but interested in blessing others. They are coming to Christmas morning mostly excited about the look on their brothers and sisters' faces when they give the gift that God gave them to give. Who does that? Jesus, by dying on the cross and rescuing them from their self-centered way of life, rescuing them from their enmity with God, which created enmity with each other, and reconciling them to God and to each other so that enemies become servants. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down, and now we don't just tolerate each other. Listen, don't you see in 2020 the tendency to think that mutual toleration is the best this world can do? Let's just get along. Let's just tolerate you. Let's try not to kill each other. That's the best this world can do. The church and the people of Christ can do better. They say, I can't wait to serve you. And Peter, of course, has to cap off his statement about serving with a moment of worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
He says, the end of all things is at hand, therefore do all these things. And remember, they ultimately rebound to the glory of Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He, he is the rightful possessor of glory. And his church knows that and they know he is coming. So what are they eager to do? They're eager to be self-controlled. To be watchful, to be loving, to be hospitable, and to give one another gifts. Because they are the ones that say, the glory belongs to you. Therefore, I will give until my dying breath. I will speak until I can speak no longer. I will serve until my body falls apart. I will keep doing that. Why? Because to him belongs the glory. I am no longer living for myself, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. My life is no longer my own. It belongs to Christ Jesus. And whether I'm 8 years old or 80 years old, I will use whatever gifts God has given me for his glory. To him, the one who saved us, who ransomed us, who rescued us, who brought us into the family of heaven. To him belongs glory from a church that is using their salvation to serve Jesus Christ. To him belongs glory and dominion. What do Christians do at the end of the world? They live for the glory of the one who owns the world. What do you do right before the master comes home? Whatever the master said you should have been doing. Now, this is not a perfect example because I do believe in headship and husbands being called to lead their homes. But just to give an example that every husband can relate to, right before your wife comes home from a trip, what do you do? You clean up. Kids, right before dad comes home when he told you to do a bunch of stuff, what do you do? Whatever dad said you should do. What do you do right before your boss walks into the meeting? What the boss wanted you to do in the meeting. That's very simple. What Peter's saying is, look, what should we be doing if we are remembering that the end of all things is Christ returning for his people? Whatever Christ wanted us to do. That's the point of all the parables in Matthew 25. He says, look, find yourselves ready by doing what the master wants you to do. What does it mean to be ready for the end of the world? It means to be doing what the master wants you to do. And what does the master want you to do? Has he said anywhere? Yes. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all. And don't we need this in this year? Above all. Above all. What does he want you to do? Keep loving one another earnestly. So in this moment of great division, what should Christians be doing? Loving one another. What should Christ find when he comes through the clouds, when he comes upon his people and the children of the Heavenly Father? What should he find them doing? Not bickering, not fighting, not selfish, not wrestling on the ground, pounding each other because of their preferences, but rather loving one another. And where should he find them? In one another's homes, showing hospitality and giving what God has given them for the good of others. Instructions for the end of the world. And why should all of this happen? Because we live for the glory of Jesus Christ. Why do you live? Why are you alive right now? You're living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Why are you not dead? Because you're supposed to be living for the glory of Jesus Christ. Why do you have a heart that beats, feet that move, hands, eyes, a mouth? Because God gave them for the glory of Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What is the point of this passage? We are to serve one another with the gifts God has given us for his glory. Why does a Christian open their home to serve their brothers and sisters for the glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior? Why does a Christian come on Sunday morning ready to encourage and build up their brothers and sisters for the glory of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior? 
Why does a Christian sacrifice their income by giving generously for the ministry of this gospel in this church and around the world, for the glory of Christ our Lord and Savior? Why does a young teenage boy dream of becoming a pastor and decide to give his life to service and preparation for that role, for the glory of Christ our Lord and Savior? Why does a young college graduate building an impressive business career see no contradiction at all in leading an usher team on Sunday for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Why does a hardworking mother with countless tasks take time to invite over a young friend and disciple her in biblical womanhood for the glory of Christ, our Lord and Savior? We do not live for ourselves, for our comfort, for our glory, for our dominion, but to demonstrate his. His glory is the vision of our lives and the fuel that compels us forward. His glory as the king of the ages, the savior of sinners, is the heartbeat of our service and drives us toward building up his people until he returns. Where can you give gifts to serve others? Think of where. Where are you already doing that that you can do it with fresh fresh joy and gratefulness? Where are you not doing that, that that you can begin to do that gifts God has given you to build up his people? Where can you live as God has intended you to live at the end of the world? Let me encourage us to allow God's word to change our real life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would make us servants. Lord, I thank you for the gifts you have given to this body, for the way they are used faithfully and regularly. I pray you would take those gifts and you would use them for the blessing of your people and the glory of your name. Lord, I pray that anyone who has been reluctant out of fear or doubt that they have anything to contribute would be freshly motivated this morning. Lord, anyone who's been struggling with envy or laziness or fatigue or disillusionment, Lord, would receive fresh grace this morning, fresh security in you. Lord, may we be a church that is filled with encouragement and and celebration of any kind of of gift-giving and service. May we be an encouraging church, Lord Jesus. Lord, use us for your glory. To you belong glory and dominion. First of all, the dominion over our lives. You have our lives at your command. So command us, Lord Jesus. Show us how we can obey you. In Jesus' name.